0: How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. When we think about the idea of communication and the sharing of information between people, we tend to think of it as a single thing. Just all of the conversations and talk that we have between ourselves and people we love, people we don't love, people we come into contact with, people we do and don't care about, that that's all communication. But communication is very different, and inside of families, the style of communication, the way that we communicate between ourselves as parents and with other adults around our kids, in front of our kids, and even how we communicate to our kids sets a framework for them on how communication is supposed to go and how they are supposed to conduct themselves in communication. See, communication can run in two different directions. Communication can be for connection, that we're sharing information that is light or maybe even deep and emotion-filled, but that the purpose is to connect to someone else, to share things that are on the inside of us with someone else so that they can connect to us and we can feel that attachment and connection grow and happen, or to listen to the other person and hear that communication. But oftentimes, communication is also about addressing issues, or creating change, or getting things done. It's that type of work in communication that can be more difficult to manage. When when conversations or communication gets difficult, and when it can be frustrating and emotions come into play, especially negative emotions, but it surrounds trying to fix things or get something done, that's the time that I have seen most often that couples and families struggle in the way that they communicate to get things finished. And the amount of time in counseling sessions and in training sessions that I hear parents and family members say, you know, I just can't talk to the other person. I just can't get my, it's like they don't even hear me. It doesn't matter what I say. I've tried this a hundred times. Nothing's changing. Nothing feels worse than feeling like we aren't heard or that we aren't understood with the people who we are, we love the most and want to connect to the most. When we are having difficult conversations, we also tend to have some internal personality type things and things that we didn't necessarily pick, but that we tend to lean towards. So some people are a little bit more aggressive in communication and some people are a little more passive And I don't necessarily mean these in extremes that people are either very aggressive or very passive. It can go to those higher levels. But we tend to just fall one way or another. People who just lean more aggressive in communication are your people who would say, hey, even if it's difficult, we need to get this done. We need to get it out there. We need to say it, say what it is, deal with it and move on. People who are more passive tend to let things go. They tend to wait until it gets really big or wait until it's a really big deal. They say, well, I'll just let it go and I'll be fine. I won't address that because it'll just create a fight and it's really not that big of a deal. Unfortunately, that sometimes turns into passive aggressiveness where enough passiveness happens and then it is a really big deal and it's not addressed until it's a huge deal. That's really difficult because that can create the big kind of emotional bursts and um, things. And the other person sometimes feels blindsided. I didn't know this was a big deal. Why didn't you say something before? Um, And then, like in many cases... You have a problem that needs to be addressed, but then communication becomes the new problem. And so we go back and forth in communication, and it's not working, and the problem doesn't get solved, and then we walk away feeling really yuck about the interaction that we had and not feeling good about how it went, and it feels like more problems instead of a solution to the one that we had to start. In this situation, assertiveness is key. We talk about assertiveness, and when I say that word, assertiveness, if I gave a really good working definition of it, is really just the ability to say what's real for you, what you're experiencing, or what you think, or what you feel, and being very clear, so not beating around the bush, or not trying to push it down, but doing it in a way that is not tactless, rude, or infringing on others. So it's this balance between, no matter if you tend to lean more passive or aggressive, there's usually a push or a skill base or a move and practice towards assertiveness and, and pulling your natural way of communicating in alignment to your goal for communication so that it's working better. When I teach assertiveness and taught assertiveness in you know individual counseling sessions in with couples and practice it together in couple sessions between families, parents and children, in college classes and do assertiveness training and teach them early. I really like to break it down. One of the things I love is very practical step-by-step guides that work. And so I'm going to talk about three steps to assertiveness that really are brilliant. They're pretty simple and if you commit to these types of communication no matter who you're communicating them with they work now in this particular episode and the episodes to come all of these are it's the same training and the same information that you would use for adults or teens or children it's the same skills so as adults we learn how to communicate well and then we pass that on to our children we adjust how we communicate with them and how we expect for them to communicate with us It's hard to do that when communication doesn't have set steps or rules. And in most cases, it feels like it's very um, abstract and that there aren't a whole lot of clear lines on it. But I'm gonna give you three steps to hard or difficult discussions, difficult conversations to follow. And if you practice them and start implementing them, you'll see some pretty good changes in how the communication flows from that. So the first thing that I talk about when I'm teaching people how to be assertive, is that it's so important to set the tone for conversations. Setting the tone and laying the groundwork for what you're about to discuss, especially if it's something difficult, is the piece that can determine whether the whole conversation is a success or a failure. Now, the way that you set the tone may not automatically determine how successful it is, but it absolutely can determine immediate failure if you don't set the tone right, if you're going into a difficult conversation with someone else. Think about how many times uh, someone has come to you with a complaint or an issue, and they've had high emotions, they've been frustrated and angry, and maybe they just throw that at you, and your immediate response well, my immediate response and most people's immediate response is some type of pushback. If there is a lot of negative emotion and difficulty or if we feel like things are coming at us with blame or challenge and it can activate us and really um, heighten our, our emotions as well. So when I have to have a d- difficult discussion with someone else, if I am not managing my own emotional stress level, my frustration, my annoyance level with whatever it is, I'm specifically thinking in terms of, you know, addressing issues with my kids or with my spouse and saying, hey, this is not really not working for me or this is something difficult for me. If I go into it with frustrated tones, and uh, angry nonverbal messages, and my body is sending messages that, um, you know, that I'm very frustrated, it sets the other person on guard immediately. And it pretty much determines from the start, that the best that that conversation can go is neutral. When we're setting the tones, we're really looking at two things. One, we're looking at how we verbally set the tone for a conversation. And two, we're looking at how we physically set the tone for a conversation. We communicate far more non-verbally than we do verbally. In fact, research says, uh, and there's a wide variety, but the amount that of information that we take in from another person when they are talking to us or communicating to us. We hear and we believe, we get messages, about 7% of it, anywhere from 3 to 7%, depending on what research you look at, is from what they're saying pretty much the rest of it is from all of the other information that we're gathering from everything else, from the tone of their voice, to their body posture, to the way that they're saying words, to the way that they structure their sentences, how clear they are, if they're making eye contact or not, the cadence and rhythm of speech, you name it, and it's sending a message. And we all know this, we don't believe what people say when their nonverbals are not matching their verbals. When I ask someone, how are you doing? And they give me a smile and look at me straight in the eye and say, I'm fine. I usually believe that that's the case. Their nonverbals and their verbals are lining up. If I ask my teenage son how he's doing and he says, I'm fine, and doesn't look at me and walks off to his room right as he says it, I'm not really gonna believe he's fine. If I ask someone else how they're doing and they say, I'm fine, but while they do it, their arms are crossed really tight, they roll their eyes and scoff a little. That's sending a completely different message. In the last two, we're never going to believe that the person is fine. So we are absolutely lean towards nonverbals. So if I start a conversation and I'm very frustrated and I'm activated and I say, Listen, you know, I'm not that mad, but this has to change. Whoever I'm talking to is not going to believe that I'm saying that I really just want something to change. They're going to believe that this is, feels like an aggressive communication and that's what they're going to run with. So, setting the tone and making sure that we are calm to go into difficult dis- discussions or situations is one of the most valuable things that we can do. And then we also open the conversation in a way that is neutral to positive. So, we prep before we go into it to say, um, Hey, I know that you aren't trying to frustrate me, I know that you're not doing this intentionally. I want you to know that I love you and I care about you as my friend and that I care enough about you to talk to you about this. I always like to think about setting the tone as reminding people what we believe about them before we discuss something that is really difficult to share. And again, this works across the board. It's not just with our spouses and our friends, but with our children as well. So in setting the tone and opening that conversation in terms of creating the space for conversation, the next step is to make sure that you deliver the information of what's not great. And I always love to tell my kids and my counseling students and everyone else that I really believe that being clear is kind. So using very clear language and very direct language. Sometimes we try so hard not to offend other people that it almost comes off that way because we're not willing to say it. We go back to some of the family norms and talk about boundaries of understanding what's your space and what's mine, that we have to realize that we're not controlling other people's emotions. So what I say that's difficult may create difficult emotions in another person. That's not my job to deal with. My job is to make sure that I say it in a way going back to assertiveness that's not rude, or tactless, or uncaring or unkind towards the other person. But sometimes hearing hard things is going to create difficulty in the other person, I can sit with them in that without trying to control it or manage it for them. Now, when you're making a request, or you're sharing something that is bothering you to another person, then it's I always say it's important to say it in as few words as possible. Um, We have a tendency to talk a lot when we're frustrated about something. We can go into history and talk about how long something's been happening or how many different ways it's wrong. Even if it's something as small, I say as small, but as, you know, throwing laundry around the house. Um, It might just turn into a complaining session. This always happens. I asked you not to do this and you do it anyway. And, the longer it goes, the more likely the other person is to check out. And so if you can plan communication and pull it back and deliver the problem and a clear understanding of what's wrong, short and sweet, then you you really do manage more of what they take away. The longer you talk, the less control you have over what they remember that you said. And I'll tell you as parents with our children, that's especially important. And the younger they are, the less mind space they have to hang on to what all we say so if I sit and you know even lecture and talk to my 10 12 13 year old kids for 30 minutes 20 minutes really without any engagement back from them the percentage of that that they're going to take away and remember is very very small and I have no control over what it is but if I want to see something change like laundry being picked up then I've got to go into it with the mindset that this is a targeted communication for change. And so I need to be very clear with what I want and what's wrong. So saying, I have explained this to you before and you are still not doing this. The last part of assertiveness is offering a solution. So you set the tone, you explain the problem or make a request. And number three is that you offer a solution. This is the part that I see break down the most, especially when I was working primarily with couples, is that couples would come to one another with problems, throw the problem at the other person and say, this is all what's going on, this is the issue, this is how I'm feeling, this is what is happening, and then the conversation would just be hanging. And the other person feels a responsibility to try and make the other person feel better without really having any guidance. When you require of yourself... The, um, the step of offering a solution when you're bringing a problem or a difficult discussion to someone else, it does two things. One, it helps give them the answer and it's connective. It's saying, I want this to be made right. I'm not just interested in griping at you or being angry at you. I'm not just throwing stress at you. This is actually something I want to see fixed. Here's a solution even that, if that's not the solution that you end up deciding together, it's not one that works. When you say, here's something I think that will work, you change the conversation's direction from being problem-focused to being solution-focused. How are we going to fix this? What are we going to do? With your spouse and friends and family members who are on lateral terms with you, oftentimes that is asking for something. So it's saying, hey, I know that you don't mean to make me feel bad, but when you say these types of things, it really makes me feel disrespected, especially when you say them in front of other people. So I need for you to not joke about that at all, because right now I just can't handle it. That's a very clear, going through all three steps way of explaining to another adult what you need and, and what is the problem. When you're that clear, it also gives you a quick understanding of what other people in your life care about what you need and what you want and will connect back to you or if they're going to ignore it and run over it. With your kids, it may sometimes look like, hey, I know that you are not intentionally ignoring what I'm asking you to do, but we're still having issues with the laundry. I've asked you to put it in the hamper multiple times and it's not happening. So we need to figure out a solution for this. What is the way that I can help you be successful? But it's moving the conversation from problem to the solution. And it's the person bringing the problem who does that, that gives the listener a clear understanding that that's the direction that we're going in. So we resist cycling on the problem, and we move into solution. Here's the great part about this three step plan. If you're setting the tone, making a request or sharing the issue and then offering a solution. You as the speaker, hold yourself accountable to not having the conversation until you've thought through and prepared all three pieces of this conversation. The reason that you would hold yourself accountable to that is because we have a tendency to throw our stress at other people. When I'm frustrated and stressed, I, you know, things can kind of set me off or I can be more frustrated more easily and just throw that at someone else. And so we take a pause and step back and say, until I can set the tone in and, and say something positive. If I say, well, I don't feel like I can say anything positive to that person right now, my child, my spouse, whoever it is then the answer to that is, then it's not the time to talk about it. And I wait. Because communication doesn't have to happen now, especially if it tears people down or tears relationships down versus building them up and creating connections. So if you can't say something neutral, and you, you aren't in the headspace to say something positive, you have to stop and just not do it yet. If you can't clarify specifically what's wrong, or what they've done or tell them how to fix it, you may be looking at something that is inside of you and that you're carrying that's not actually that other person's responsibility. Maybe they're just touching that part with something that they've done, but that helps guide you into what really may fix it. And that is a really wonderful step to add to your own life in terms of communication. If you're trying to make a change and communicate better to say, I won't go into difficult discussions without a plan. Unless I've thought all the way through it, all the way to possible solutions, I'm not going to start the conversations. Now, there are a lot of things about emotions that get in the way in these three steps. And so in the next episode, I'm going to dive deeper into the way emotions um, activate us in these three steps and how to manage those and use those to facilitate connection and communication and, um, and to push back against negative emotions that can destroy that or really damage things more than what they already are. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit TheRemodelProject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.